The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. If you were like me as a kid, you dreamed of one day being a famous athlete or a musician or actor. But excelling in those fields have always been a difficult ask for those of us who are Shomer Shabbos. Pretty much as soon as you have thought of working to maybe one day go pro, reality smacks you in the face, and you realize that you'd have to give up on your religion to do so. Not true anymore. The glass ceiling has been shattered as two major league draft prospects were selected in last week's MLB draft. So, we thought it would be fun to talk about it. And of course, I can't do it alone. Simi Cohen, a friend of Izzo, friend of the show, guy behind the Don Zemmer account, obsessed with all things Jew and sports. Moshe Cohen, happy to be here. I am here because I think I bother Simi too often about uh, Jews in sports. So he was kind enough to uh, nominate me to be on. Simi and Moshe will be giving their thoughts on the impact of having Orthodox Jews with this high a profile and what their chances are of making the big leagues. Simi, Moshe, thank you guys so much for joining me this week. Now, this is going to be a very different type of an episode because usually our shows generally focus around uh, experts in a field talking about a specific topic that's related to Orthodox Judaism. Uh, today, we're just going to, like, n- none of us are really experts in uh, MLB or in, you know, Orthodox <laughs> Jews in sports. Uh, but I invited you guys here on because you're two, two of the people that I know that are super into Jews in sports. Um, without being an actual expert in that topic, which I, I don't know if Jews and sports is a topic that requires, uh, that, that has a field for expertise yet, but um, you guys are the closest things that I know to it. Uh, so I'm glad you guys were able to come on. And the specific reason that we're talking about is because last week uh, we saw the first two uh, from Jews uh, drafted in any major sport, they happen to be drafted in the same sport in baseball. Um, so, first of all, thank you guys for coming. And I, the first thing I want to ask you both is immediate reactions. I know we're recording this a little bit after immediate reactions over, but immediate reactions to the drafting of the two baseball players to the MLB. I think I was shocked that he went higher. I wasn't expecting him to go until until the 90s. I think that's where he was the earliest I saw projections. The ironic part is I was watching on a site that was, I guess, a little behind. And I believe Simi's text would alert me to the uh, fact that he got <laughs> drafted at 77. And we're talking about Jacob Steinmetz here. Absolutely. Just, just Jacob Steinmetz went 77. And uh, much later on in the draft, Ellie Kligman went. And we'll talk about him in a second. Simi, immediate reactions to the draft. Yeah, I was I was also expecting a little later. We we had looked at some rankings from Pipeline and MLB prospects and stuff, and they were like 120, 100. There were different lists, and I, every time these were coming out, I was just I was just so thrilled to see like this guy from our world, from Hafter, you know, in the Five Towns, modern Orthodox family. Like I, I, I there's so many types of Jews out there. That's that's the type of Jew I am, and I just like relate to that. So to see someone like come from my background and like be on the same list as like Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker and all these guys that got drafted, like was, was cool. So yeah, we weren't sure. Like we thought maybe it'd be like the fourth round. And then um, once the third round started, I thankfully I was like basically drafted a tweet just to like, kind of like be the first one to just, uh, you know, express my excitement about it. And it a good timing that I did. Cause I think he was like the seventh pick of the third round or something like that. So 
it was crazy. No, definitely didn't expect it. Um, but it's super exciting. And I think, um, we'll get into it, but I think the fact that he was drafted at 77, um, is probably a good indicator that the diamondbacks are really interested. I mean, teams don't waste picks in general, but especially, um, a third round pick, you know, you, you want to make sure when someone's committed to Fordham. So Jacob Steinmetz is officially committed to Fordham in order to pry them away. You usually, you gotta, you gotta come with a strong bonus. And, um, we could talk a bit about how the draft works, but when I saw that, it was like, Oh wow. Okay. This, this is happening. He's probably getting signed. And like, um, it was just really cool. All right. So before we get into like the nuts and bolts of, you know, the draft and, and their futures, um, this is obviously a huge uh, piece of news for our community, as, as Simi mentioned. Um, what do you guys think in terms of what this means for the future? Now, Moshe was meant we, we, were, we had a little bit of a WhatsApp before this uh, before this show, and Moshe yep. pointed out that you know just because they're drafted now doesn't mean that they're you know they're making the major leagues. There's a huge path to follow before they can get anywhere. There's a lot of hurdles to jump through. Um, they're good enough to be drafted. That's better than, than, than the vast majority of individuals on the planet. But this doesn't mean that they make the, 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 the majors right away. But I want to know, what do you guys think this means for the overall from world in general? It's just so unique. It's so, it's so different. It's, um, I think it gives people hope um, that, you know, they, let's say we've, already, we've come a long way as, in, as a country and everything. I think like there's been Jews and more and more prominent public positions. People have a hard time at work explaining Shabbos and kosher, but it's getting easier over time, I think, as a trend. But this is just another one of those landmark things. Like, wow, like a, like a professional athlete, um, which is what they'll be regardless if they make the major leagues or not. If you're playing baseball for money, you're a professional athlete. A professional athlete who's an Orthodox Jew, like that's, that's cool. That's unique. And I think like other kids who go to Hafter and other kids who go to these schools are going to think that could be me. Let me try to train the way Jacob did and let me try to do, you know? So I think like it definitely is inspiring for, for other people to try to follow that path within our community. And I think hopefully it'll also help people outside the community um, in the way they view us be a little bit more like, Oh, that's that these people aren't so, so different. They're, they're, they're doing worldly kind of things the way anyone else would. Yeah. Moshe. Yeah. So also, I, it definitely, I, we might get back to it later, but it obviously harkens back to Tamir Goodman, a real trailblazer, a little different college as opposed to pros, but you know, it wasn't done before him as, as far as I know. And um, I believe um, there's a connection to him definitely from Jacob's side. I don't know about Ellie, but it definitely shows that, you know, with hard work, you can get to where you want to go. It may have been a dream of his, you know, years ago, um, I think that he wasn't very, Jacob definitely wasn't high on a draft board until maybe a year ago, possible pre-corona, I'm not sure exactly, but the corona definitely factored in. Um, we also have to mention that uh, Hafter isn't exactly a hotbed of, you know, baseball activity, <laughs> you know, five towns-ish, but uh, he went to Florida for a few weeks recently uh, pre-draft, I think, to help with this draft prospect. And yeah, it seems to that seems to have made a huge difference. Like going to Elevate Academy it was earlier this year. There were a lot of videos that came out on Instagram from different like prospect tracking accounts and things. And I think he started to make his appearance in that in that top 150 or so, like 
early, I honestly, I think it was as recent as earlier this year, like February time or something. So sorry to interrupt that, I, I, but that's definitely no, not at call all. Out. Please, yeah. So here, here's where I think that there's going to be a, a real difference maker if in, in, the, in the from community. I think that for the longest time, basically until about a week ago, uh, the from community did not really think that this is a possibility that we should even invest money into, invest time into, that somebody from our community could do this full-time and still remain from. If it turns out, even if these guys don't make the majors, but the fact that they got drafted, even if it turns out that, 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 they, that they don't play in the majors, I, I could see this being a, a, a launching pad for, for Jewish day schools to maybe develop a baseball program uh, if they want to have people uh, ha have this option for later on in life, if they could develop players that are good enough to be in the majors to the point where teams will draft them despite their religious pretenses, then maybe this is something that we see in the future. Now, I know Moshe, you mentioned that it's possible. It's probably, it's, it's, not necessarily even likely that they'll make the majors. There's a low percentage chance of them making it, but this could pave the way for the future amazing all-star that is also happens to be from to pursue that career. Definitely. I think so. And also like not, especially if it's Kligman, um, not to let observance of Shabbos, like in the way, like if you, if you want to try to do this while keeping Shabbos, like if he's able to pull that off, like at a high level that, that I mean, getting drafted is one thing when the team already knows that that's he's laid it down already. I'm not I'm not playing on Chavez and the Nationals are like, we're taking you anyway. That's already crazy. If he were to actually get to that level, it, it, it would be it would be it would be insane. No longer be a concern, like for a lot of people, I think, in a lot of industries, sports for sure, but others too. It, the way Sandy Koufax kind of, you know, Sandy Koufax, just to touch on him for one second, everyone always talks about him playing Yom Kippur, like, Back in 1965, he was the best pitcher in the world. He was the Jacob DeGrom of that year, whatever, like by far the best pitcher for like five straight years. And he didn't, this is a World Series game. And back then, like not every game is televised and not every, the World Series is. And everyone knew when this was happening, like it, it rocked the world. This fact, like, wait, he's not going to pitch game one. Like he's, he's Yom Kipper. So that already, now think about it, like Steinmetz, Kligman, they don't even have to have the conversation about Yom Kippur. It'll be understood that they're not going to pitch on Yom Kippur because, because Koufax already broke that kind of glass, you know? Right. So, so now they're breaking more glass. Like if, if they make it again, that's an if, and we, we could talk about that, but whoever makes it, whether it's these guys or a future guy, they, there's more, there's more barriers to break and, and chip away at this, at this, um, you know, this notion that came um, so they're in a way, that's why they're such trailblazers. Let me throw out one other thing because, because Jacob Steinmetz is coming in as a pitcher El, uh, and Ellie Kligman is coming in as a catcher. Uh, the difference in terms of those two positions and keeping to your religious, uh, like neither of these, they, neither of these are necessarily regular, regular everyday players, even though a catcher probably is more than, than, uh, than a pitcher, but the, uh, ability to do both at, in terms of those two positions. Well, Izzo, what do you think about that? You were the one who like kind of brought that one up. <laughs> well, this is kind of my show. I bring up everything. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, we had Ellie Kligman on in the past, and the whole idea is that teams carry two, maybe even three catchers. So it's possible for him to be the, not, not even necessarily the, 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 the starting catcher. If he could be like the, the second or third catcher, they don't necessarily need him to play every day. In fact, the, the catchers often take uh, – 
one or even starting catchers play only four games a week potentially. Uh, So if he could be that other catcher, then it's possible that it's not even going to harm the team so much. And for, for Jacob, the pitching every day if you're if you're a reliever it's a little bit more difficult if you're a starter it's also difficult but he already announced that he's probably going to pitch on Shabbos so that's a little bit of a different stretch I think it is harder to pitch uh, to to be a pitcher and and not pitch on Shabbos than it is to be a catcher and not play on Shabbos I I heard I heard Ellie on your podcast and and um and Mark and I just my personal opinion I think it's um there's a lot of great reasons to try and be a catcher first of all I think it's an awesome move, but I do think that the Shabbos thing is like overthinking it a bit. Listen, it's the, the catcher plays the least per season of any position player. That's true. Um, but the, the idea that they'll, that they'll like build a whole schedule around it or something like, I think that's thinking a little too far ahead. Like he, he's got to just be good. And, and I think the rest will fall into place. I think being a catcher is, is great because not a lot of players come up being a catcher and there's not a lot of great offensive catchers in the game, like at high levels. Also, it takes years to develop. A lot of player people are scared of doing that and they don't want to have to go through that. Um, there's also like, you know, how analytics and, and on base percentage is like such a huge, huge thing these days. Like people who know about baseball statistics, I know a little bit, there's certainly a lot more I don't know, but one thing I know is that there's a lot of rec- like, recognize the truth to the fact that we don't know everything there is about the value that a catcher can bring. So a lot of intangibles, there's a lot of things you can't quantify how well they call a game, how well they, they could block the plate and frame pitches. They're like just getting to this stuff now, like throwing runners out, like that's a little easier to track, but there's so many aspects of that position that they're willing to like kind of look deeper than just the stats. And there are, these are all great reasons I think to pursue catcher, just the Shabbos thing. Like to me, didn't, didn't, I don't know, like, we'll see. I think, I think like, again, just, just like be good. Um, and the rest will fall into place. Just my opinion as a fan. Two, I guess, counterpoint to that, that I've heard number one, and what if you're someone's personal catcher? So if that guy's pitching on Shabbos, you have to change the schedule. Number two is the day game versus night game. A lot of times the days catchers are off are one of those two, meaning you'll catch a Friday night and then not catch Saturday or vice versa. Um, so and a lot of times teams will play Friday night game, Saturday, Shabbos afternoon game. So they'll have to factor this. Um, but if he can hit, I, they can also find other places for him to be, even if it's not catcher, whether it's DH yeah, or he's played shortstop. He can throw 90 miles an hour. He's versatile. There's and, guys. Um, who knows? Yeah, there's there's a lot of players now like um, Austin Barnes, Dalton Varsho. There's there's guys who catch and play infield or outfield. And that's like really tremendous versatility for a team. So he, 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 hopefully he keeps all of his positions a little bit fresh, which I'm sure is the plan. So what Moshe was saying, how common is it in major leagues right now for there to be a personal catcher? I know back in like in the nineties, that was like all, a huge thing. Like, but it's I, definitely I, a thing. It, it is a thing. I think the top pitchers like kind of, kind of have that. I don't know off the top of my head right now, but the, it, I think it exists a little bit. Yeah. It's not, it's not like every single pitcher has that and a team's based well, on that, but I think the, maybe, maybe, you know, every couple of teams will have like one starter who works per, really well with a particular catcher and they'll try to keep them paired up, but it's not something you see all the time. Right. Uh, even off the bench, the more versatility he can provide I mean, if you can pinch it and they double switch you in and you can play more than one position, it gives them more right. flexibility where to put them on the field. I could be like um, a Joe McEwing type player. 
Domi, one of my favorites of all time. If you didn't want to touch on it or uh, we don't have time, but uh, the agent and the coach's son, if we can jump on yeah, that first. Yeah, I, I was going to go there right now. That was, that was my next topic. So they both come from sports-oriented families. Uh, obviously, like in the history of sports, that's a real common thing. Like you're, you don't just <laughs> – athletes don't just pop out of nowhere. They're, 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 there's almost always some sort of genetic component in there. Um, but – the, the fathers of both these, both of them have been on this podcast, actually. Um, so Mark Kligman is Elliot's father, and he's a, an MLB agent, whereas Elliot Steinbitz is the coach of the Maccabees, the YU basketball team, and he's Jacob's father. So I want to get your overall thoughts on them as, as the parental figures and their influence. And for uh, those of us uh, who aren't athletes, or at least not on that level, like if we're looking to train our children, or if we are children that... Uh, that are listening to this for some reason and want to want to have a future in sports. What are, what are we thinking in that, in terms of those, in terms of the, the, the parents? I think not, not coming from a coach's kid or an MLB agent's kid, but uh, Ellie definitely has act, had access to major league players that I think is very cool. And he could probably learn some of their work ethic and uh, probably been about some ballparks and maybe they taught him some, you know, tips and tricks along the way, you know, what to do to help to get ready. Um, of course, Jacob also is a coach's son, so he sees how hard these guys work and, you know, hard work breeds success, hopefully. And Elliot has had a tremendous program uh, at YU the past couple of years. Uh, obviously, a little different sport for basketball or baseball, um, but I know I don't take a place in basketball as well. But I, I think the, the drive, the work ethic, uh, time, um, commitment, which a lot of these are, are from aspects too, you know, making time in your day. But those are just some of the few things that come to mind and they could emulate their dads and uh, use some of their dads. Um, I guess for lack of a better word, connections or just, you know, knowledge in, in the sports world to help them along the way. Yes. Uh, that's what I want to add to, especially for, for Kligman, like to have his father, like I, I I'm following as you guys are following, like as fans and just reading articles and podcasts and absorbing whatever information I can get. And it's very clear to me that his father is putting Ellie out there looking for opportunities to get him onto podcasts and into articles and to spread the word. Um, and, and a lot of this preceded Jacob, like rising up as he did earlier this year. I, I, when you had <laughs> Izzo, when you had like the, the Kligmans on, Ellie was really the story. I had never heard of Jacob Simons at that point. He, he mentioned he him mentioned on your him podcast. On show, yes. That was the first time I ever heard the name. I started looking up Jacob Simons like our, Moshe, you knew about him at the time. I did it. Absolutely. And, and it was like, oh, wow, this kid's coming strong too. And, but his father was just so active in, in how, and he still is, I think. And, and he's, that's such an asset to have your father be an agent, know the business side of the game and how to talk to teams, negotiating with the nationals right now, probably that that's like, that's just so cool. And, um, and then on the Elliot Steinmetz side, I think like, that's just, he's just such a fascinating person to be involved with all of these stories. If you think about it, the, the, and, and Moshe, you're the biggest, uh, why you max fan that I know of the, the way he, he turned around this franchise, like, and, and this program and rattled off however many wins in a row. And, and, and he's coaching Ryan Terrell who has a non-zero chance of making the NBA really tiny, but whatever. And it's still non-zero. And he's the European father League. of Jacob Steinitz. Like that's what made that. Um, let's, let's, let's just swing it back for a second to the Tamir picture. Tamir Goodman tweeted out a picture which is like so, so cool. Everyone should go to Twitter and just look at Tamir Goodman's timeline for this picture. Just remind everybody um, who Tamir Goodman is. Tamir Goodman is like the original 
from guy who had a shot at being, he took the world by storm in the nineties, Jewish Jordan. I think he was ranked 25th in the country as a high school player. He was legit basketball. He was legit, legit player. Played for Towson for one year. Yeah. So, so he um, didn't work out. I think he was originally possibly going to go to Maryland, ended up going to Towson, um, had a coach with an understanding of helping him. And then a new coach came in, had some issues with the new coach, got injured. I think a bunch of things happened. Bottom line, he's still a huge success story. And, and at the time in high school, he was like, there was a ton of buzz about him. Tamir Goodman yeah. is this like legendary. Right, Moshe, you want to add anything on Goodman? Yeah, now there's the pre-social media. So when Tamir was in Sports Illustrated with Phil on, the world got turned upside down. <laughs> right. Imagine, this wasn't imagine, just, yeah. imagine Tamir now with social media. It wouldn't even, you know, it can't compare. Right. So, so there was a picture where, um, and, and Tamir Goodman has an active connection to the YU Max. Moshe, what, what is that? You said that when players go to Israel for the year, they train with Tamir they train before with Tamir. coming also, to YU? Yes. And Mike Sweetney is an assistant to Elliot. And Mike Sweetney former and Nick. Tamir, former Nick, former Georgetown. And Mike Sweetney played the same time as Tamir. I think they were in like a Capital Classic together uh, mid-90s, like you said. And they're definitely friends. Tamir's friends with, with other NBA players. I think a few just came to Israel to help him with his basketball. Tamir's a very good basketball camp. So Tamir and Elliot are friends. Yep. And yes, definitely some players train in their, in their Israel year or year and a half or what have you before coming to play for Elliot. So this is like the whole wild tangent, but it's perfect because that's how this story has just so many circles to it. So Tamir Goodman, there's a picture of him in the YU gym with Elliot Steinmetz, Jacob Steinmetz as a kid. And... Yep. And Danny Don, Katz, Donnie Katz, yep. Donnie Katz, son of Tamir Goodman's Harold. coach in high school right. at where did he go to high school? I forgot in Baltimore. Um, uh, PA, right? Tamir Academy. So in that picture, you've got the son of Tamir Goodman's coach who played for Elliot, Tamir Goodman with his connections to Elliot, and just a kid, Jacob Steinmetz, who might be the next Tamir Goodman. I mean, the next right. like legit shot of like being this. Like Tamir Goodman didn't work out the way we all hoped at the time. Maybe Jacob will, maybe it won't, but either way, what he's already accomplished is huge. What Tamir accomplished is huge. Like we shouldn't take away from that. And just to see them in the same picture. I'm going to add, I'm going to add one more thing to this this layers because it was mentioned slightly before because there's a different way between the, the way that these two fathers are going about doing it. Mark is putting his son out there. Like he's been on this podcast. He's been on a bunch of podcasts. He's had articles written about him, uh, TV, like he's been out there. Whereas uh, Elliot is keeping Jacob, letting him do his own thing. And they, both of them, they're not going on shows. They're not talking, and I'm not criticizing or, or highlighting either one. Those are very different ways about going about this. What do you guys think about these two different concepts and these two different philosophies? Say, I don't know the kids, so I can't speak to like, I, I just have a feeling it has to do with their personalities, what the parents think, you know, is best. They're still kids. They're not even 18. Like, I, I think that um, certainly respect both approaches and, and Ellie seems up for it. And like, he's on all sorts of shows and, and it's cool to hear him talk and Jacob's a little more low key and behind the scenes. And, and Elliot, I think wants to shield him. And they're certainly just given where they got drafted and, and, you know, yeah. Jacob's probably looking at a bonus of nearly a million dollars. He's probably going to start rookie ball in a couple of weeks. Like, right more pressure and hype his name is getting out there a lot more not to say honestly i think kligman honestly i feel a little bad for him i feel like he's getting a little overlooked in this situation and 
Had there been no Jacob Steinmetz, this still would have been a like huge week to see Ellie Kligman get drafted. Like we can't forget that. And that, like we said a year ago, he was arguably a little higher than Jacob. Like he, yeah, Jacob was a good pitcher at Hafter prospects. I, I, I don't, I don't know how many people came to see him pitch. Maybe some, but Kligman has been all over the place in area code games. He's been to, if you go to his perfect game profile, he's been to like nine events. Like he's now with team Israel. I saw him play at uh, Brooklyn. Listen, I saw him uh, come in for Nick Rickles in the middle of a 10, nothing game. And then I saw him getting that bat and he fouled out the third, but against FDNY, but honestly, just watching him play 17. I'm like, wow. Like he's keeping up with the speed of the game. Just, just as a catcher throwing the ball back to the mound, like, like a big leaguer. Like uh, I couldn't do that. Like, yeah. You take that for granted. Like I probably sell one over the head or whatever. Like I, with the, I, I have tickets going it. to their next game, which is going to be probably the day this podcast comes out. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll be looking forward. Oh, you're to going it. when it, um, yeah, when so you I, going? I think it's on Tuesday night uh, of, uh, of the, the, the day this podcast comes out. I should be, uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out tonight, I'm going to the, to the Israel game team Israel against the Islip. NYPD out in Islip. Yeah. Awesome. Look out for number uh, 45. I think that's the, <laughs> the, fact that the fact that he's playing with ex big leaguers is just tremendous. Yeah, dude, he's, he he was in the uh, he was catching, and uh, Danny Valencia was at first, and Ian Kinsler was at second when when he yeah. was catching, and Ty Kelly was at third. Huge. He was that's actually really on the bus. He was on the bus that when he got the yes. notification that he that's was a, drafted. It's a great video. Yeah. yeah. If you guys can check out that video, it's on it's on Twitter. Uh, and I'm not sure which video. I don't know which video I've watched more times. The one with Jacob at his house with his friends and Yamaka celebrating. Uh, or the one of Ellie on the bus. Both are tremendous in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do want to shift a little bit. Um, we can talk about, I, I, I want to get eventually to like the nuts and bolts of, of the actual draft and where these players are going to be, or what we think is going to happen with these players. Um, but we would be remiss if we didn't mention, we already mentioned a couple of the orthodox people in sports that have come before. But um, I want to get your thoughts on People like uh, Amari Stoudemire, who obviously played in the NBA but wasn't from at the time, is from now. Um, and anybody else that you uh, may be interested in mentioning? The Amari thing is cool because he didn't coach on Chavez. Now that he's coaching for the Nets. And uh, the fact, you know, that story that went around and when he found out about the trade, he was learning in Kavrusa. They're not urban myths. From what I understand, you know, these are true stories, but they're, there's tremendous stories. Right. And uh, the respect and the dedication that he has to uh, his religion and after converting, I, it's something that we, I think we can all look up to. Absolutely. Yeah, and is at the beginning of this podcast, you mentioned like Jews in sports as a, as a study or something, or as like a, as a field. I think it's all kicked off the past few years with a few different stories. Team Israel, you know, WBC making this miracle run. The story of Amare, like there's been a few and the YU, YU Max. Max. Yeah. Yeah. YU Max. Those but three, not even counting. What about like BD Deitches of the world? Like that's BD not Deitch, a real yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and these have nothing to do with each other, though there are these like, you know, interesting uh, connections. You have a couple we, of these the American Ninja Warrior, there are a couple of people that, that went there. There was uh, the, 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 the girl from Long Island that uh, is uh, S.D. Ackerman. Ackerman with the, with, with the, with ping pong yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of these like different stories that are coming around at the same time that this didn't happen 10 15 years ago these are all, all recent they're, they're all within recent. the past five six years the only um, one that i can remember from a while back was that story in houston with the uh the team making the state tournament that yeah and they had a whole issue with playing on shabbos that was the only one that i could remember before this and then uh, within the last like five years you have all of these different stories coming out yeah right. exactly and and amari is is in his own right like 
perhaps the biggest story. I mean, he's a former superstar NBA player his whole life, just because I'm, I'm, I'm repeating what he said on meaningful people podcasts and other places <laughs> and articles. He's always kind of had a spark in him that, that, that had something to do with Israel and Jewish connection. And, and he's explored that even while he was playing. I never knew that. Uh, that's not something that I've ever heard reporters talk to him about. This is one of the problems, by the way, when you get like, you get these stories and, and, and New York Post people or whoever, like they don't know the right questions to ask. Right. That's why like, um, right. there's this guy, I don't know his name, shoot. He's the Matergaman on Twitter. Okay. And he, he, oh. he, he, worked, he writes for, I think, Mishpacha. He wrote like a whole thing on Amari, but from like, had an Orthodox writer do the interview and, and asking him about like his conversion and his, and his dedication and, and mitzvahs and all this stuff. And it's like, right. that was really, really cool cool to read like my god he's before i read that i didn't you hear you hear oh he's he converted and he, i didn't know what it meant like did, like right. he really he, he's he's learning three times he's learning he's davening three times a day this stuff is all 100 true it's it's insane or some this and then learning by see pictures him with a black hat and get, and he's the first coach okay there hasn't been a player yet first coach in one of the four major sports who doesn't do his thing on Shabbos. He's Absolutely. assistant coach right. of the Nets. And that's insane. And now, like, I keep saying that word, but I got to come up with a new one. It's crazy. <laughs> it's the interesting part is the amount of rounds, actually, in MLB 20, as opposed to, first of all, last year, I think there's only five for COVID. So it's huge contrast. Uh, it affected this year's draft because a bunch of people from last year got pushed to this year. So it probably affected both where they fell out. Number two is the NBA, only just to touch... Uh, briefly about Ryan throw from earlier. Let me only has two rounds. Many, many, many years ago, I believe it was 10 rounds. And there was a YU player drafted. The name escapes me and, and I apologize, wow. but he was drafted. Wow. I, I did not know this. Yes. Uh, I, I'm completely blanking out and I'll look it up afterwards and I'll feel a little silly. But right, so when I we release this, you can comment on the video saying, oh, here's the name of the player. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed in myself, but uh, I mean, he went to training camp and it didn't work out. I didn't even think it was saying, oh, I'm not going to, player on Shabbos or whatever. But the fact that Amari played in Israel is I think an interesting thing. I, I don't, I'm not saying the story wouldn't have happened, but it, I think it helped the fact that he was there and he had access to right. these yeshivas and stuff like that. So you mentioned the differences <laughs> between Major League Baseball's draft and let's see, other sports draft. Um, baseball, I mean, <laughs> those who are like even moderately baseball fans would know that Mike Piazza was drafted in like the 66th round or something like that. So baseball used to have like a, a bajillion rounds. It has to do with the fact that they have, you know, these three different levels of minor leagues, which no other sport has. Other sports right. might have like a D league in basketball or a minor leagues in hockey, but it's not as leveled as the as baseball is and with multiple uh, minor league uh, franchises that are associated with each major league team. Um, so having these no enormous number of, of rounds does make make sense for that. Um, but if you can give us a little bit more of a nuts and bolts, um, I guess this is where we're going to go to Simi on major league draft and how yeah. that works. And, and what does it mean that one went, that, that, that one went in the early rounds, one went in the later rounds? Yeah, sir. I, I'm by no means an expert. Um, I'm a huge baseball fan. That's my only credential here. And I, and, <laughs> and it's actually a very complicated and tricky system, the draft. It's not so simple, but um, so first of all, 2019 and earlier, there were actually 40 rounds. Um, wow. Then in 2020, they had five rounds. And now for 2021, there's 20 rounds. So what Moshe said, 100% correct. The fact that there were only five rounds last year, plenty of players that would have gotten taken then got pushed into this year's draft. So now a couple of things about the draft, it's for American players. There's a whole other mechanism by which foreign players get into the major leagues. 
Um, it's for people who are in an educational institution, you're either in high school or college. Um, so you can enter the draft like after high school. And then if you're in a, so here's the thing, if you, uh, and I'm just gonna throw out some random rules. Like if you get drafted as a high school player, then you don't, you don't sign, let's say you go to college. You can't re-enter the draft the next four-year college. You have to either complete three years of that college or you have to turn 21, either one. So it depends kind of on your age. So there's a lot of incentive to try to sign and get a deal done, just so you know that. A little bit about the financials. So like the first 10 rounds of the draft have an assigned financial slot to the to the to the to that pick. So for example, like it's something like the top pick is something like I don't remember eight million or something. Um, the 77th pick where Steinmetz got picked is 805,000. Um, that's the assigned slot for that for that pick, right? So if a team in their cumulative slots, because they know what they know where they're picking in each of the rounds, they have a if you add up all those total, you know, assigned bonuses, they can't go over that amount by too high of a percentage or else they'll get hit with penalties. Now, I think if they go like 5% over, then it's just a financial penalty. They have to pay a percentage of the overages. If they go 10% over or more, they actually lose future draft picks. Teams never have done this as far as I understand. They always want to like, they're okay with paying like the financial, but they don't like go too high over to, to have those draft pick penalties. Um, so now there's a, there's a whole game of chicken a little bit. And like signability is a, is a word that's thrown around a lot. What you're trying, what teams try to do is they, they might, they might think that Jacob is the 120th best player, but based on, on where they're falling in the draft and based on, um, what it would take for him to sign, you know, I, I, I've heard rumors. I don't know if this is true that Steinmetz side has communicated they, they want a million dollars in order to sign or else they're going to go to Fordham. And they could have these conversations with teams as far as I understand. So the team will know not to waste their pick on him unless they plan to make that offer. And it might be in their better interest to use an earlier pick on him because a million is a certain percentage higher than 800,000. But if it's a way higher percentage over 600,000, so they're not going as over slot on an earlier pick. That's my understanding. It could be wrong on some of these details, but the bottom line is, is like, you don't see players get perfectly ranked like in fantasy or, you know, like we're just, he's the first one off the board. The second, a lot of it has to do with uh, conversations that are happening in the background. Like where, what's the player thinking in terms of like his alternatives um, high school players like Steinmetz and Kligman have a little bit more leverage because they could go to college. So like, they know I'm not going to take your deal. I'll go to college, right? Like um, older players who are like coming out of college have less leverage. Um, so those are all kind of like factors that go into this. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I think I've already think, I think I've already seen that he's announced that he's signing. Like it's, it's pretty much hundred percent. If it's not, it's 99%. Like he's going to get something done with Arizona. Um, he's already physically almost on his way there from what I understand too. So that seems like a done deal. That's awesome. And, and we'll, we could get into like what the, where he'll probably go and how long it'll take to advance. Um, Kligman is more of a question. I, I, I originally with the limited knowledge I have on the draft, like when I saw that he got picked 593rd in the 20th round, he was like the, I think there's the 20th to last pick. Basically my gut was like, he probably won't take it because he could go to college and prove himself and potentially, uh, be a higher draft pick. And, and you have to remember like the financials of this decision are most players don't make the majors. So 
you, you don't get paid a lot of money to play baseball in the minor leagues. At AAA, maybe you get like, you know, a decent-ish salary, uh, something like 50, 60,000 prorated or something like that to what you're playing. Earlier than that, lower levels, it's, it's, it's like not even minimum wage from what I understand. You need to maximize your, your signing bonus. That's like the game here. So you need to try to do as well as you can, get in front of scouts as you can, to get picked as high as you can to get that good slot so that you get that good offer um, so that you can get that signing bonus, which will carry you over. You know, like I was talked about with friends, like Steinmetz, like if he could get a million dollar signing bonus, he's 17 years old. Like that's, that's, that's great because he can, he can play for a few years in the minors, make a tiny bit of money. Maybe it doesn't work out and, and retire quote unquote as a failure, quote unquote, at like 21 <laughs> or 22 with a few hundred thousand dollars left in the bank, hopefully. And, and by the way, he could have been doing online college while he's in playing and just had the time of his life and met former big leaguers. And I mean, like, it's, it's great. We're, it's the worst case scenario, hopefully. Um, so I think like a lot of that stuff goes into it, you know, like, well, I think we, we're going to see him sign pretty soon. I think they have until August 1st to officially sign, get the deal done. Um, so hopefully when it's announced, we'll, we'll know, and we'll know, we'll know the amount too. You think they're so waiting like, until after the nine days specifically? <laughs> I, yeah, I, the I think I heard that. They wanted they to wait talk about that. Yeah, I heard that too. So, That's and so then funny. Klickman, we'll see. Klickman, like, it's interesting. It's not easy to get drafted. People are are overlooking the fact you got drafted. They, you know what? Like, people talk, take, make jokes like, "Oh, you get taken in the last round of MLB." Sometimes it's because you're someone's son, or you're it's just like a joke of a pick. There were no shtick, sticky picks this year. There's only 20 rounds, not 40. These teams need to restock their system. There were only five rounds last year. There's the Washington Nationals are not wasting a pick. Right. They. They, they took him because they, they believe in something in him. And he might, he might develop better in the, in the minors than in college. He might have better coaching. And, and, you know, once you're the property of the team, you do what they say. You, you go wherever they assign you. Or they might just have you work out in an instructional league and just, you know, work with coaches all day. And he could really benefit from something like that. Plus, reading between the lines, I don't know about you guys, but from the, you know, most of the podcasts you shared with me and, and other podcasts I've heard of Ellie because he is more out there. It seems like he's getting offers from D1. He's not saying where or, or what, and some of it was COVID delayed and he has some offers, but it does seem to be that there's a bit more of, uh, maybe I'm, I'm overreading it, but a bit more of an issue around his keeping Shabbos and not playing on Shabbos in college than even in the pros. And that could have something to do with the schedules. Like college schedule is very short and it's very weekend heavy. Um, the, ba- the minor leagues are bigger seasons. Once you get past like short season ball, like once you're into like low A and stuff, it's bigger seasons and the team seem less concerned about that. It's like probably, honestly, they, there's been talk about cutting out minor leagues is, you mentioned there are three leagues. There's more, there's, there's rookie ball, low A, high A, double A, triple A. There's talk of like, of really limiting it. And uh, cause they're like not profitable anyway or whatever. Um, so, so it'll be interesting, right? Like, I think, I think there, he might just find himself, um, with some more understanding, easier time. Like part of, part of the thought process behind eliminating minor leagues is like, why do we need, why even need, why do we need them to play against other competition? We could just teach them and have them hit machines. So you don't need to do that on Saturday. Like that, that type of thing could, that's what I'm saying. Like teams are, I I feel like almost more open-minded to, Mm. uh, to that. Now I still have heard from him that teams are willing to work with him in college and whatever, but if he doesn't find that right program, that's going to work with him to like develop him and, there's a lot of aspects of the game, especially if you're a catcher that you're going to want to work on. And that has to be a huge part of this. Like if the, he likes the nationals facility and, 
and obviously the bonus. Like that, it, the question is how much could he get um, versus how much could he get if he waits and does he want to bet on bet on himself, you know, performing at college and improving his stock, or does he want to take this bonus and bet on himself getting to to the majors? Because once I'm you not- get to the majors, the the financials open up obviously. Right way higher one Go thing ahead. on Simi's point earlier is can ellie use leverage of being drafted in the signing bonus uh in his college dealings that's number one question doesn't have to be answered just a question and number two what do the major league pl- uh, baseball clubs use colleges as a quasi minor league for some of the guys that go after high school to college instead of going to minor leagues you know in lieu of the fact that they might get rid of some of the minor leagues uh, i.e these kids are developing in college instead of being at rookie single a or what have you when they come out of college they can go to a higher up um minor league designation or or as a selling point like oh you didn't think i was that good well they thought i was that good yeah no it'll be really interesting i i i don't have a good sense of like where what's going to happen with Kligman steinmetz i i have your good sense uh assuming health and performance of what his plan will be just knowing how young players are usually treated and following prospects a little bit um, Kligman, I have no idea. I, I, it's a lot more questions. There's questions about what he'll choose to do right now, positions, how teams would handle him. So we'll, we'll definitely have to watch, wait and see. All right, let's break down a little bit. Stein, let's separate the two because there are two individuals. They, they just both happen to be, uh, you know, raised in an Orthodox home. So let's, let, let's talk about the two different people. Um, so let's start with Jacob Steinmetz. He was drafted first. Um, he is a pitcher. Let's for, first of all, how good is he like in comparison to like the other people that were drafted around him and we'll, we'll do the all the generic questions concerns about injury for pitchers because that's a different concern than it is for other players um and uh how did covid do you think affected him so let's start with with simi any of those, so all those questions from what i know and and there's limited information on high school players even even if i were literally a scout of a team like they just have limited info um, these guys have to, like Kligman talked about having to send video to, to places just to get people's attention. Like, I only know what I read, but he throws a fast, he's six foot five, 220 pounds. Um, he's got, that's a major league body, but if there's room for any growth and if there's room for learning, um, the mechanics that to improve, like for sure, like you could, you could end up throwing harder 90 to 94 topping out at 97, which is a really strong base, I think for a 17 year old. Um, he has a good curveball apparently. Um, so he's got two good pitches that he's starting with. Do you need to develop um, a third pitch in order to make it to the majors at least? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, then you still could have a future as like a high power reliever if you could dramatically increase your velocity. But otherwise, if you're going to be like a mid rotation arm or something, you generally need at least three pitches and solid control, at least average control. Mm-hmm. And if you could get more than that, better control or increase the velocity and have, you know, then the sky's the limit. I mean, and he's got to stay healthy, but um, you know, he's definitely has good tools and ingredients that are objective and measurable that, that went into his, why he was drafted the way he was because he's six foot, he's six, five, two twenty. Like it's like the NFL combine. If a guy runs a certain speed or like this stuff, like you, you can't argue with it. Like right. you already know it. Um, it's a, so in, for pitchers, it's a little bit more um, cut and dry sometimes versus hitting where you have to kind of uh, dream a little bit because you don't know how someone will handle advanced pitching until they are forced to face it. If you right. see a kid, you know, and that's why I think uh, pitchers, if you look, pitchers get drafted more than hitters. Like the, the draft in general is tons of pitching. It's more predictable. 
The upside with hitting is bigger because it's harder to hit on them. So teams go for that home run pick and take that toolsy shortstop, but that toolsy shortstop who hit 500 with 30 homers and ridiculous numbers in high school, you have no idea if he can, if he can truly lay off a breaking pitch low and away until he's, until he's forced to face it. Right. So it's not just the, some, but it's not just the pitchers, not the, the pitchers you're facing. It's also like your metal bat versus a wooden bat. There's, there's a lot of differences that go on in there. Sure. Absolutely. And so, so yeah, so back to Steinmetz, I think, um, yeah, we we're talking about how good is he? So he's, he's a very solid right-handed pitcher. Um, like look lighter and rocker. We mentioned like on Vanderbilt and they're, they're several years older, have more pitches, have pitched in front of like packed stadiums already. They're more advanced. Um, but Steinmetz could get there, uh, and, and if the team could have a huge value on their hands, if, if he does. Um, so I think what we'll see from him is, you know, knowing that he's 17 and, and to touch on the health risk for a second, you know, a young pitcher who these are all risk factors for like Tommy John, I hate to say it, but throwing hard, being a righty, these things are there. It's tough. They're going to have to be careful. Um, listen, it wouldn't even necessarily be the end of the world if he if if he got certain types of injuries or, or whatever but it's it's something that you have to be very careful of it's it's unfortunately a epidemic in this day and age that pitchers of his type of profile get hurt so that's going to be a major major thing for them to track and they're probably going to handle him with very kid gloves and they're probably going to be really careful about how much he pitches in the first couple of years of his development um so so that's huge and then I think the biggest thing is going to be like, you know, he went to this elevate Academy and, and that's, that's awesome. That's getting, that's getting like, you know, some real coaches to, to help you with your mechanics and your delivery. And, and he needs new ideas and new stuff to, to continue to improve, to learn how to maintain his, uh, you know, arm slot and his release point and his, all that stuff is going to lead to the command and is going to lead to taking a new pitch and repetition and all that stuff. Yeah, so that that's it for Steinmetz. All right, so Moshe, what do you, can you add anything to that? I uh, wanted to say one point from earlier. I did uh, look at it briefly or remember <laughs> uh, Dave Kufeld, nineteen eighty, by the Portland Trailblazers. Nothing right. to do with nothing to do with Jacob or Ellie. Um, but I, I, one thing I'm not to harp on it is that though the the kind of getting his feet wet in those few weeks in Elevate Academy, he's going to have that you know on an everyday basis when he's in the minor league system. It, it's, it's a huge difference. And playing on travel teams is not, you can't even equate to playing on minor league teams. Do you want to, so, do you want to rein in on uh, how, what you think his chances of making to the majors are? I don't have an opinion. Don't have an opinion. I, I saw that Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report did a weird thing where they gave you uh, how likely it is for a first round, second round to make it, but they grouped third through fifth together. And they gave that a 33% chance. And I would okay. imagine that a third rounder is more likely than let's say a fifth rounder. So I'd give him slightly yeah. above a 33% chance, maybe like a 37% chance. And that could improve or decrease as the years go by. Exactly. And we'll, we'll, we'll actually, we'll watch. Now let's, let's, uh, let's move over to Ellie Kligman. This is not going to be like based on any scouting or, or, or research gut instinct odds. He signs versus odds. He goes to college. Give me 60, 40, 60, 40 college or 60, 40 signs. 40 signs 64 you think maybe. he's more likely to sign than he is to go to college the college uh, like uh we said the podcast we just listened to the college schedule <laughs> didn't sound like it was incredibly conducive maybe i could be completely mistaken but um who knows right i'm, I'm with you I, i'd even go 70 30 sign 
just where my gut is and and just thinking that it's late already mid-july he's got this he's going to have an offer on the table from the washington nationals and um i, I have a feeling he's going to take it but we'll also see. there's very few scholarships um we mentioned this uh think in the chat but the college does not have that many full scholarships if you haven't got it by now right we're half the way through the summer september starting before you know it i, I said they said something about i think 11 and a half scholarships for 25 30 man roster so not people don't have full they have partial it's complicated it's not cut and dry like the whole team is not scholarship right and it, and just because you go to minors doesn't mean you can't go to college also especially if you didn't get a scholarship you can just as simi mentioned way earlier you can yeah. go you can go to college at night it's just you're not going to go to that college while playing ball um and if you guys want to weigh in on on the COVID aspect of this uh help or hurt either one of these guys um, I think it supposedly helped Jacob because he was able to do uh, more weight training. This is what I heard. I don't know if for a fact. I uh, did a weight training for like a pitching program at home, I think online. And uh, obviously with less games, I, I, I believe I heard that Ellie just had a lot of games canceled. Uh, so there was just less room for him to showcase. And then, you know, they, they had some of these, like, like Timmy said, some of the, um, the college showcases or what have you. And then from a draft perspective, they wouldn't have been eligible last year. So they wouldn't have gone last year. But again, some of the players who didn't go last year because only a few rounds affected where uh, each of them went this year, um, respectively. But uh, listen, it affected everyone in, in the whole world one way or right. the other, right? So it had to affect them just, just in, in getting on fields, being seen by, by eyes instead of video, that kind of stuff. I agree. I think, I think, um, and I only just thought of this as I'm hearing you talk, like, I feel like it probably affected Ellie a little bit more negatively than, than Jacob, because, um, like we mentioned before, Jacob has those raw ingredients that you just can't deny. And Ellie needs those showcases and needs to needs people to see him play. And you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like missing out on those opportunities was probably, um, a little bit worse for him than it was for Jacob. That said, he still had plenty of opportunities. Clearly he got drafted. It was a huge, yeah. huge accomplishment to get drafted. And, um, you know, so, so he had enough, but uh, it, it potentially could have been better for him had, had, had there been more. And he wasn't always a catcher. That's very recent. So getting right. reps in games didn't happen. Right. But I, there's always that cliche of like the best, the, the, the best athlete on the team always pitches. So they, they, most of these major league players, when they were in little league and high school, they were pitching. Yeah. And then you find your place that you, that you, you end, end up falling into. Um, there's one last topic that I want to bring up with you guys. Um, and that is the overarching understanding that the from community had behind these guys. Now I wrote an article about this in the Queens Jewish link that just came out last week, but I wanted to get your take. My, my, I'll, get, I'll throw out my take and then you guys can add to it or not add to it as you, as you wish. Um, but my personal opinion was that because everybody has an opinion on these guys, we need to like just cool it with what our expectations are. Now, a lot of people are talking about what, what is considered from playing on Chavez, not playing on Chavez, um, you know, keeping co- whatever the coach is, whatever. Everybody had their take. I also wanted to expand that into your uh, the, the, into what we expect of the players on their political side, uh, their support for Israel, their public support for Israel, their public uh, display against anti-Semitism. I just, like, these kids are 17 years old. 
I think we need to back it up a little bit, like let them grow into who they are. Um, let them decide what they're going to be doing religiously. Let them decide what they're going to be doing politically, where they're going to take a stand, when they're going to be there. And when they decide to, to just not say anything, there's too much, I think there's just too much pressure on every celebrity to come out and say something on something or be what the public wants them to be. I just think that because this is like our first, like orthodox celebrities that we have in the realm of sports, that we just need to take a step back and, and not fall prey into the same thing that the rest of the world has already fallen into. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I saw your article. I agree with everything you just said. I was, I'm very online. So I see a lot of negativity and um, especially during the three weeks, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just, I, I just was like getting, honestly, I'm just made me sad and I'm just tired of it. Um, people need to keep their negative comments themselves. In my opinion, let these kids be kids. Uh, someone actually had a rant and I shared a, uh, on Twitter. Someone had a rant on Facebook. I forgot his name or something. And he went even further and he's like, I teach kids who go off the dark. You think that like seeing someone play on Shabbos, who's from is going to make them go off the dark. Like, no, like the opposite. <laughs> Look what, and then Sandy Koufax, and he brought this example in, and we mentioned it earlier. You think people went off the direct because Sam Tandy Koufax pitched on Shabbos, or do you think he inspired people to keep Yom Kippur because he kept Yom Kippur? Like, it's not even a question. People, like, he changed a lot of minds with that, and, and like we mentioned, broke the barrier. Um, so it's really all about how you view things, and um, I couldn't agree more. And I, I just hate those discussions. And I, I saw it also with, honestly, and not to get political, but with uh, Ivanka and Jared, for me, that it reminded me people judging them, not based on even the dispensations to fly on planes, but talking about what Ivanka's wearing and she considers herself from it. I, I uh, that stuff bothers me so much. It's like, we're literally su supposed to have done the Kafskas, you know? And on Twitter, I want to be like, you're on Twitter. Do you know what kind of like disgusting stuff is allowed on Twitter? No, like visually, like they, they honestly don't filter stuff on Twitter. What are you, what are you doing on Twitter? Like you want to like throw it back and but you try to hold back and not, uh, not get to their level. Um, so no, I totally agree with you. I, and, and I'm, I'm glad the way you wrote it, I think hopefully we could put that, put that to rest and just, and just look at the positive. There's so much positive to take from this and, and it's really all perspective, you know? And Moshe, you want to add to that? Yeah, it was, to me, it was ironic during the nine days that there was so much fighting. Everyone had their opinion about this stuff, uh, the Shabbos, and a lot of it wasn't positive. Uh, of course, in my unorthodox life coming out uh, the same day or a day later. Uh, don't bring that up. We could, we could talk for another six hours if you want about that. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm just saying it, it was just the whole, the whole two, three day Kufa was, was ironic to me. Right. There was just so much backstabbing and judging. And um, yes, I, I thought your article was excellent and let them be kids. And maybe when they grow older, if they want to take stances on things. But um, in terms of like what Timmy said, um, look, maybe a kid will say, oh, look, he's not going to drive on Shabbos. Maybe I won't do that either. Instead of right. someone who was doing that before. Exactly. Just, just an example. Right, because it could have the same positive. As people are pointing out the negative effect it might have, the positive effect is also there. It's possible. And if you're just being influenced by one individual, on the, like, I think that's more on you than on that individual. Now, I'm going to give you guys a chance if, if there's – Anything else you want to bring up about this that we haven't discussed? Another point that maybe we did and we wanted to gloss over. So let me start with uh, with Simi, if there's something else you wanted to bring up. Okay, so I wanted to talk about Zev Moore. All right, who's Zev uh, Moore? We spent so much time talking about uh, Steinmetz and Kligman, but Zev Moore is trying to do the same thing. He is 
All right. It's I'm trying. I tried to get as much information as I could about Zev Moore. He lives in Israel. He's in the army right now uh, while playing baseball. He has the sport eye uh, designation, which is um, Denny. What's his name? Abjaja, right? Yeah, From, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had that. He's the only one for baseball who has that, actually. What is that um, designation? It, it means that he's um, he does his army service uh, by giving back to the country in the form of like competing for Israel hmm. um, in baseball. He he's been in a lot of tournaments. He's on the extended roster for, for team Israel right now. Um, but he's been in like the 18 and under European tournament. He was the MVP of that tournament. Actually. Um, he, I heard him on a podcast and he was super impressive to me. I was just, just the type of person he was and hearing him talk about um, how serious he is about like, what he does and what he's what the army and, and he coaches and he gets up at six in the morning and he, he's working out. And during COVID he like built a gym in his house and he's, he's like, he's a really impressive kid and super, super serious. And he, um, he's like Steinmetz in that he uh, will play on Shabbos, um, but will walk to games and, and things like that. I know that, um, you know, our friend Zach Rab, I think is like, you know, hangs yep. out with him on Shabbos is when he's traveling with the team and stuff. So someone else to keep in mind, he's, he's a teenager. We didn't, we know, don't know much about him. He's an infielder. He's performed really well for Israel in a bunch of different tournaments. He has brothers who also play, but it seems like he, he's on a bit of a different level. Um, so you never know. His plan is to definitely try to play professionally. He wants to come to the United States, I think for college and then take, hopefully get into the draft after that. So we're probably a couple of years away from, um, from seeing him, but it's a name to keep him in mind. And um, it would be really cool if we see him at, at the World Baseball Classic in 2023, perhaps. Also for Steinmetz and Kligman, like imagine Steinmetz pitching to Kligman at the, uh, at the World <laughs> Baseball battery. Classic. Totally as a battery, possible. not as a batter. Battery. Right. Yeah, battery. totally possible. I think somebody, um, somebody would have to come up with a nickname for that battery. Oh, uh, well, from Twitter, we'll have a field day for that. <laughs> we'll that. A- that's AY. Yeah, let AY get on that. <laughs> um, but no, I just wanted to bring up Zeb Moore and, and give him some love. And it's probably a little bit early, but, you know, look out for him in the next couple of years, too. One thing I think is at least a year away, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Zeb? It's not, I think he's 22 next year. And that's for a draft or a college or what have you. But no, excellent points. And uh, just thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, last chance to plug you guys. I know you guys are all over social media. Where can we find you? I am only on Twitter uh, at uh, Moshe underscore Colette, I think. Moshe is uh, all over Twitter. Just uh, Moshe is also a repeat, uh, uh, has as as constant. Uh, uh, what's the word? He's always in the uh, Jew- the the Jewish press in their in their tweet in their tweet section, so you can catch him there too often. Uh, Simi on Twitter, uh, Simi underscore Cohen, and also at Don Zemmer, uh, where I do my. Uh, Jewish uh, baseball songs, my regular baseball songs, any lyric baseball player name parodies uh, could be found there at Don Zammer. All right, guys. And don't forget, we all like uh, the baseball player names that sound like Jewish words. Also. Oh, yes, yes. If, uh, of course, we'll always ask this every time we do a baseball episode. You guys have a good uh, fantasy baseball team name that is a good Jewish pun. Please send it over. M- Moshe loves those things. The last time I asked I that, Moshe, I Moshe, Moshe, Moshe like put in like, like 17 or 18 different options. And it was amazing. There's 500 more where that came from. I don't know if <laughs> that this is baseball, but I have a ongoing, uh, Jimmy, knows, Jimmy knows a lot of these. 
there's right. there's a there's a D Bash ideas thread from like a year ago where he's just yes. soliciting pun names and Moshe <laughs> yeah. Colat every couple days. <laughs> yep. new, there's a new one there. Uh, uh, epic thread. Yeah. Moshe, Simi, thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll talk to you another thank time. Thank you, Izzo. Thanks to Moshe Kolat and Simi Cohen for joining me this week. I want to reiterate something I said in my article for the Queen's Jewish Link. These kids are 17 years old. They should not have the weight of a nation thrust upon their shoulders just because they are good at baseball. Let's just relax and enjoy the ride without expectations. And if one should decide that playing ball supersedes religion, so be it. That's not your issue to worry about. We've seen this happen before with a certain reggae singer. Sometimes things don't pan out the way they were intended on the outset. By the way, this is Simi's second time on the show. If you want to hear his first appearance, check out episode 22, The Making of Internet Sensation Don Zemmer. Elliot Steinmetz was also a guest. His episode was 32, Coaching YU Basketball. And of course, if you want to hear my interview with Elliot and Mark Kligman, that was episode 48, Black Hats and Baseball Bats. Until next time, call two. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Srelly Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg. Follow us on Facebook at The Jewish Living Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at Jewish underscore living. You can also email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.